0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. On Monday, the New York Times predicted that Hillary Clinton would win this week's election, with an 84% probability. And as we all know, um, as our new president-elect likes to say, that was wrong. Um, don't be scared, we're not gonna talk about politics, but I do think it's valuable, since it's probably on your mind anyway, to talk about like how the world is gonna be different. We thought we were in, gonna be in one world and we're actually now in a different one. And uh, I have three wonderful advisors on the show with me today to talk a little bit about what they think the implications are of the Trump election and how that that's may, have, may or may not have changed the world that we expect to be living in over the next three, six uh, months or a year or so. So our first guest is John Miller, founder and principal of Sterling Risk, Advise, uh, Risk Advisors, which is an insurance brokerage that specializes in healthcare. We have Mark Lewin, CEO of Strategic Liquidity Services at GV Financial Advisors, a wealth management firm, and Michael Blake of Arpeggio Advisors, founder, and he's an expert in valuation. Welcome to the show, gentlemen.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning.
1: So so I'll start off with the question that I think is top of mind. Uh, From each of your perspectives, is there going to be anything different in the world based on the election at the beginning of the week? John, you want to take that?
0: Absolutely. First off, welcome or thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate that. I think there's a freeness um, that comes with this election relative to particularly those in healthcare that are going to invest um in, in future projects. I think there's been a lot of concern about where things were going to go in in the uh, election. I think adds a lot of clarity for for folks as, as they think about what their capital investments are going to be over the next several years.
2: Mm.
1: What about you, Mike?
3: What I'm reading and hearing is that the uh, technology sector is very concerned. Um, And in fact, the one sector that has done poorly since uh, the election has been the tech sector. And the reason for that is because roughly 30% of their programming talent is a United States citizen. And therefore, if we're going to be sharply curtailing immigration, then uh, the tech companies are going to have a talent sourcing problem. And in particular, since they are now doing so much of their coding abroad and foreign markets are such big markets for them, this is a seismic shift for the entire technology industry.
2: And what about you from your perspective, Mark? There is been a tremendous amount of political posturing and rhetoric, uh, rhetoric from, uh, I guess, now President Trump about uh, tax rates and how they will um how his efforts will uh, reduce the tax burden on private business owners. Um, And with a Republican Congress, there seems to be no barrier to implementing those ideas, um, and it really will be earth-shaking. So from my perspective and my business owner clients, we're just waiting to see, is any of that reality?
1: Mm. And in particular, one question that I have as as a consultant is, what do you expect in terms of business activity over the next three to six months? Um, so some of the conversations that I've been having are th- there was the initial thought that we would things would free up and there would be a little bit less hesitation. Typically, in an election cycle, companies will hold off on making big decisions just to see how things will go. Do you expect that 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 will that that, that freedom will continue, that people will begin to con- transact or will there be? My expectation is that things may be continue to be slow for another six six months or so until people really sort things out and figure out the direction that we expect things to go and kind of get a feel for what a Trump administration will be like.
0: You know, I certainly think in the next six months, that's the case. I think once... President Trump gets into office, uh, particularly in the healthcare segment relative to consolidation, I think you're going to see a speed up of that. Uh, I think there's been a lot of concern around the FTC and the Justice Department and their view of consolidation uh, over the last several years. And now there will likely be a freeing uh, of, of, of their point of view. And I think you're going to see an acceleration in the mergers and, and acquisitions and consolidation uh, arena for sure. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I, I didn't see a lot of people holding off pending the election because I, I think there was such a widespread belief that a Clinton victory was going to occur, that um, I, you know, in my world, in the merger and acquisition transaction market, I really didn't see much of a slowdown. What's interesting, what has what has surprised me, and I think has surprised people much smarter than I, is... That's um, hard to imagine uh, that the, there's anybody smarter than you, Mike. Yeah, I believe it was a long list. Um, but the... the uh, the mar the, the prevailing wisdom was that the markets had priced in a Clinton victory, and the expectations that I had heard was that we would expect a market correction of anywhere up to eight to twelve percent, uh, more you know, greater than Brexit um, with a Trump victory. And Which is what the,
1: I was looking for too.
3: And the exact opposite has happened. So if you shorted the S and P 500 when you thought that Trump was going to win, boy, you got some, you got some covering to do, fella. So um the the market's kind of interesting the the markets have have been pleasantly surprised and this the stability premium we thought was out there has not materialized.
2: I didn't really see anybody holding off uh or not purchasing um equipment anything mainly because it was just so inconceivable that that uh, Mr. Trump would win. Um, and so I think we're all a little bit in shock. And I think this is a very timely conversation this morning to try to sort through it all and try to think how how things will um, play out. So do uh, you think
1: that given that there is a shock that the transaction volume is going to dry up until people figure out what's happening?
3: I think it'll increase because okay. the anticipation now is the Fed will will likely raise rates because we're going to have an inflationary fiscal policy besides the expectation of increased infrastructure, military spending, and reduced tax rates. So if you want to borrow money cheap to buy or or acquire or finance a business, do it in the next three months. Well, by the way, for
1: listeners, both John and Mark are like nodding vigorously. Okay. So you're saying that the expectation is that interest rates will, will go up. And so if people want to buy stuff now would be the time. If you're going to use somebody else's money to do it, yes. And John, what are the additional implications of of that for healthcare? Do you, are, if if any? I
0: think it's a a real challenge to think about what regulations are going to be rolled back as a part of this. Um, you know, when you look at Speaker Ryan's plan for healthcare and all the um, changes he wants to make to the pharma industry, the device industry, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for investment. Um, and when you think about Trump, throughout the campaign, was talking about deregulation or a rollback of a lot of regulations, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to, to try to get in the mind of, for example, Speaker Ryan and, and Dr. Ben Carson, who, at least at this stage, appear to be the two folks that are going to lead the healthcare care initiative. Um, I actually read Speaker Ryan's uh, white paper uh, that came out in June uh, that talked about all Good for thing. you. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I knew I had the right expert on here. That's
0: right. Uh, and, and one of the big things that that he, he talks about is 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 rolling back those regulations. So I think there's a lot of research that's going to need need to be done uh, into their minds as, as they approach this over the next several months.
1: Mm. And so let's talk about the big regulation that is on everybody's mind, which is the the Affordable Care Act. Do you have you had any conversations? And yes, of course, it's still very very early, but have you had any conversations about what's you know, assuming that they deliver on what they're likely to do, which is to repeal the existing form of the Affordable Care Act? what are they going to replace it with? Like, do you, do you Have you had any conversations about what, the expectation with that for what, what that will be?
0: Yeah, I think we first need to think about the word repeal. And and I don't know that, you know, when you think about repeal, that's everything. And I don't think everything is going to get tossed out. I think a lot of what is in the Affordable Care Act is going to remain. For example, I, I don't think people need to worry about pre-existing conditions. I don't think people need to worry about age um, requirements. But I do think there are a good number of the things that that will be peeled back. And you know, his Speaker Ryan's plan around tax credits um, that will be the equivalent of of what's been done here to date is an interesting concept. The other thing I think you're going to see from President Trump is this whole uh, revitalization of of President Bush's uh, health savings account uh, uh, approach. And one of the things Dr. Carson indicated was that we want to be able to share health savings accounts among family members. Uh, that if I have a health savings account, and my wife gets sick, that I can transfer my funds over to her. That is a brand new concept that I think people are going to have to wrestle with.
1: What about the exchanges and etc. and and all those people and on on the exchanges?
0: You know, we don't know. I mean, I think we we've got a lot of um uh, of things that need to be found out. I I, I perceive uh, that those exchanges are at least in the near term are going to remain. Uh, I don't. I think it's such a seismic shift when you think about. Affordable Care Act was not just insurance reform, but it was uh, uh, so invasive into so many aspects of the healthcare. You can't just rip it out. So I think when we think about, you know, the things they're going to have to do, some of those things are going to have to happen incrementally. Uh, they're not going to happen overnight.
1: Mm-hmm. And Mike, as your friends and colleagues in technology are evaluating what's going to be mo- happening moving forward, how are they thinking about the, the exchange of talent? And tell us a little bit more about the thinking and technology and, and the issues with with the talent.
3: I think the prevailing view is that we do not generate enough competent STEM graduates to go around and to supply our tech sector. Our education system just doesn't do it. And why is not the topic of this discussion, so we'll put that aside. But it's it's inescapable numbers that we just don't produce enough people who can write code, who can do heavy math, that can produce and design and innovate in a way that has driven a good chunk of our economy. So um, I, I think there's going to be a. a th- there could be, if this is not thought through carefully, there could be a, a talent crunch where companies are simply going to be constrained. Now, you could make the argument that maybe in the medium term, maybe that's a good thing with a, with a talent crunch. Maybe that encourages more innovation, and instead of, of rationing labor by wages, you're doing so by effectively artificial price controls or quotas. The tech sector is going to have is going to have a problem. There's just is if if we are going to go this direction of, of anti-immigration and, and trying to bring companies back to the United States, it's going to be difficult to produce. And then if we go to the extreme, let's, let's say that, that the president-elect's desire to force Apple to make iPhones here is somehow made reality. And I can't see how that would happen, but if it's made reality, get ready for a $1,200 iPhone. An iPhone is going to become a luxury item, and it's going to result in, a, in effect, widening the digital divide in our country. Because you know, people like us, oh, yeah, it's 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 a pain in the neck. But if we if that's what we need to run our business, run our lives, we're just going to pay the twelve hundred dollars for the iPhone, and deallocate six hundred dollars from someplace else. But for somebody that is. Or on you a low could get income, an
1: Android, which is about half
3: the price. Yeah, but it's still gonna be doubling price. <laughs> I mean, we're not making Android phones here either. Right. So the the, the point is that whoever is whoever's is on that on that lower end scale and their sole internet access is a digital phone. And there's a large segment of the population mm-hmm. for whom that is true. Right. They're go- there's a risk they're gonna be disconnected from the internet entirely. But
1: so let's be real. If he, if you know i promised an apolitical conversation but it, how realistic is it that that those immigration policies are going to be implemented i, susp- I didn't pay that close attention i will admit to the Im- the immigration policy discussion um but i, I mean it's, i mean my perspective is it's just not going to happen
3: you may be right but the president elect campaigned on a restrictive immigration policy right we've already seen that the people who did not vote for him are unhappy and are are protesting in an unprecedented way. It's unclear how his own party, I use that in quotations, because I'm not sure what party he really belongs to, although he was on a Republican ticket. Are they going to get behind that? Um, I, I I think that's an open question. It's going to be lumpy. It's going to go in lurches. And along the way, too, I think there's also going to be an issue of, if I'm a talented immigrant, if I'm a talented software developer from India, do I now want to come to work in the United States or do I want to go to Canada? Or would I rather become a landed resident in the United Kingdom or go to the EU? right? I, I think now there's an environment where I'm not so thrilled to come to the United States because I'm not sure that I'm all that welcome.
1: Hmm. And Mark, you have very intimate conversations with your clients around money and, and the intersection of money and happiness and satisfaction in life. Um, what kinds of conversations to the extent that you can share them have you been having this week about your clients' mm-hmm. expectations for their businesses and their wealth over the next
2: year? Well, there's an air of uh, unreality about these conversations. Um, what does that mean? What I mean by that is um, most clients who are successful business owners um, uh, can't believe their uh, their good fortune I mean <laughs> I mean if what, Um, President Trump said on the campaign trail happens. For example, the rules around depreciation have, um, are are kind of um, too good to be true. And the deal is now that if you buy equipment and you depreciate that, that depreciation, thus that tax deduction would be taken over a very long period of time. Now it appears that the proposal is to immediately depreciate uh, and so what that means is if you buy a million dollar piece of equipment, you get a million dollar tax deduction that year, Ooh. Um, as opposed to over a very long period of time. That's pretty crazy. Um, the other thing is that um, all business income is going to be taxed at 15% instead of 35%. That's also kind of crazy. And we were talking about a $6 trillion addition to the uh, deficit over the next, um, I believe it's five years. It's just a little too good to be true if you're a business owner so everybody's just waiting and thinking um, is any of this really going to happen and it really does change the game if it happens so we're we're waiting mm. and i mean one other comment is if you're a republican legislator um, meaning in the house or the senate and you're thinking to yourself well it sounded good on the campaign but um, am i really going to vote for this well i mean i have a a, a allegiance to the party but Can I really be this fiscally irresponsible? So it's just going to be a crazy time, Mm. you know?
1: Well, everyone who's listening, we're talking to three advisors about the implications of a Trump election on policies that will affect you as a mid-market CEO. Um, We have John Miller, who's the founder and principal of Sterling Risk Advisors. Michael Blake, who is the founder and principal at Arpeggio Advisors and Mark Lewin, who is CEO of uh, Strategic Liquidity Services at GV Financial. And so I'll ask each of you in turn, what are are you thinking is going to be the biggest takeaway uh, from this week? What are you taking away and how are you advising your clients over this next period?
2: I mean, at some level, I'm emphasizing a a wait and see. I mean, all of these ideas that uh, we're talking about um, relative to mergers and acquisitions activity, big capital expenditures, all of that, it's, it's just sort of up in the air. And so um, we're just going to wait until the euphoria dies down a little bit, either euphoria or panic, depending upon where you are in the political spectrum. We're going to make decisions in a measured way. Uh, so I'd say the, the dominant emotion is, uh, wow, what's really going on here? And how do we, how do we take this? Um, how much reality do we attach to this event.
1: Mm-hmm. What about you, Mike? I, I
3: advise them to start thinking about contingency plans.
1: I love it. I was just about to go there.
3: So, for, for example, I think that there's going to be some fiddling with our trade agreements. What that means, I'm not sure, but I, I do think they're going to be different now. As we've learned with the, the British exit from the European Union, you don't just sort of say, you know, we're out. <laughs> um, it, it takes years for that to happen. But as that starts to become closer to reality and more visible, if, if you're sourcing goods and labor from overseas, you need to at least start thinking about how you're going to do that differently because you yourself will not be able to change that overnight. So you're going to have to devote some sort of computing cycles to figuring out what that alternative path is. And then, you know, for areas that that the current administration has encouraged, such as, such as alternative energy, I, I think you definitely need to start rethinking your value proposition there. I have a, I have many clients in alternative energy and where their business plans up until three days ago have been, well, our government wants to get rid of carbon and therefore this is why this clean tech is important. Now it had better be economically viable and, and frankly the heck with carbon, I just I, I think we're gonna have a rollback of those regulations. I just we have a president who said that he thinks that climate change <clears throat> excuse me is a hoax. <coughs> And the people he's put up for EPA are, are people that are friends to coal and fossil fuels. And if you're an alternative energy, you better be prepared to make an economic case, not a social one.
1: And what about you, John?
0: Well, you know, we have a unique perspective because we work with providers of health care. We work with... Um, folks that are providing benefits to their employees, and then we also work with disruptors of healthcare. Uh, and when you think about the employee benefits aspect of, of the changes that are coming, one of the things that's been touted by the Republicans for years is the association health plan concept, that small businesses ought to be able to band together to buy health insurance. And I, I think as, as we see what's going to happen over the next year, if that comes to fruition, there are a lot of small businesses that are going to be planning very quickly to take advantage of that because the spread of risk that can be accomplished in the, and the premium savings that can be accomplished via those methods are, are tremendous. The, the second part that I think is the third rail of the whole healthcare aspect is we advise clients, and of course, we advise them on their malpractice risk. Uh, it, it's the third rail of, 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 the, um, of the conversation because on the one hand, we want quality care. And when our mother Uh, get sick, we want her to have the very best care that we can. On the other hand, as business owners, we want the least expensive health insurance plan that we can find. The two are irreconcilable. Uh, You can't provide mom with the very best care and then also save money. And so as we navigate that over the next several years, um, I think, you know, this change is going to be monumental when when you think about uh, changes to the tort reform system um you know those can be very impactful particularly for the disruptors uh, out there in the community for example telemedicine and, and mm-hmm. some things that are coming down the pike
1: so mike you mentioned scenario planning and I think for me that's what i would certainly advise my clients is to think okay there's you know scenario a scenario b scenario c and i need to be prepared and be preparing for any or all of them i'm wondering mike what are the scenarios that you think your mid-market CEO listening to this should be preparing for um, moving forward? Let's say over the next year,
3: um, I, I think the I think the most important scenario is the extent to which your business is dependent upon foreign trade, whether it's importing materials, finished goods, semi-finished goods, whether it's labor, whether it's outsourcing. I think all of that um, is subject to change. Um, I don't know whether that means under threat or something else. But I, I do think having if, if your business heavily relies on the ability to just outsource to China whenever the heck that you want, I, I would have a plan B to figure out what happens if that goes away.
1: Mm-hmm. What about you, John? What What do you think are, is a, an important scenario to plan for?
0: You know, the contingency in, in, in the healthcare segment is around... Um, uh, Medicare, largely, uh, and what's going to happen to that and, and, and Medicaid expansion and what's going to happen to that. I, I think, though, that the gas pedal is going to be down now. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the restrictions on the income side of the equation are going to be removed, or, or at least that's the, the uh, message that, that we're receiving from the, the folks that are now going to be in power um, so I, you know, I don't know that there as many contingencies to worry about as there were, um, you know, if Hillary had gotten elected.
1: Mm. And so, do you think all of the push for value-based payments is that going to just go away?
0: No, I think that's going to stay, and, and it has to stay if we're going to change healthcare. Um, you know, I, and, and I think if you if you survey and actually there have been several surveys of the CEOs around the country of, of large healthcare institutions, and I think eighty something percent of them say value-based payments are here to stay regardless of who is elected. And, and I think that's where we have to make a move. It's just the balance between uh, rendering the care and, and valuing that. You know, a good example of that is um, there's an initiative in Speaker Ryan's plan around um, what we need to set a standard of care as defined by the specialty groups. And in theory, everybody can get on board with that. The challenge is, is that the standard of care here in Atlanta is different than it is in Folkestone down by the by, by the swamp here in Georgia. There are two standards of care, and and so if we're trying to to uh, consolidate one standard of care, I think that's going to be very difficult in in a in a community. I mean, you look at the election results of the the urban versus the rural. I mean, even in the election results, we got two different uh, communities, and and so I think that's a real challenge as we move forward.
1: Mark, what scenarios do you think are most important for the CEOs listening to this to plan for?
2: Well, I think that from my end of the world, my perspective, the question is with regard to. Um, how the business owner is thinking about uh, liquidity and the issues around uh, the immediate, the immediate actions because of again of this volatility and the whole tax scenario. A lot of those, a lot of those plans are subject to um, really to a completely different tax system. So if I, for example, am looking at an employee stock ownership plan, uh, an ESOP. As a way to generate liquidity and also empower my employees with transferring ownership to them, if this tax system is completely changed, that whole quite that whole technique is is just a, a different conversation. So, um, I would say that a lot of those discussions, kind of the brakes are, we're pumping the brakes here, approaching it with caution, and so that means that a lot of the whole, the the entire financial industry is holding its breath um, in terms of advising um, business owners. So. I just, I think that we're just going to have this period that's going to be, um, it's going to be accelerated activity toward the end of the year um, to take advantage of the things that can be taken advantage of. Whereas next year, it's a completely different ballgame. It's one of these, those unique times,
0: uh, you know, usually you're deferring um, uh, or, or trying to get as much income in the current year as you can. Now with potential changes in corporate tax rates, that there's a freeing, I mean, it's, it's, it's the opposite of what we live with for many, many years.
2: Right. The mo- if I may add one more thing. Sure. It's, it's incredible what's on the table. I mean, if, as uh, an article I read in Forbes suggested, that if um, you are a employee of your company and you are a highly compensated employee, you're paying 40% tax, let's say. If you, on the other hand, um, uh, are an independent contractor, meaning you are a consultant to your company or to anybody else's company, under the new rules, you'd be paying fifteen percent on your income. It's just that simple. And so the writer says, "Go start your own business." Well, he essentially said, uh, "I am resigning from my post here as a as an employee of Forbes Magazine. I am now I am now proclaiming myself an independent contractor." Thank you very much. That was his last paragraph. It's pretty funny, but you know that's the kind of dislocation and craziness that is going on with the, with the prospective implementation of the Trump plans. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're all holding our breath.
1: All right. So just as a refresher for people who may not necessarily have been in business at a time when in, interest rates were likely to increase significantly, can you give us a re- refresher of like what's a good playbook for how to transact and how to conduct your business in an environment where interest rates might be getting really, really, really crazy?
3: The playbook is to, is to get ahead of the curve, right? It's business is about skating to the, the, where the puck's going to be, not where it is. So if you're going to make, if you're going to make big capital decisions, do it now or do it earlier because, you know, the, the interest rates are going only going to have one trajectory. I think, um, I think the Fed takes its responsibility to manage inflation very seriously. Um, Conventional economic theory from the last seventy years suggests that the policies that are suggested must lead to inflation. Although that's what we thought with quantitative easing, and that didn't happen. So maybe we're learning a new economics. I do need to hedge that. I think one, make those decisions quickly, and and two, if we do get into a higher inflation environment, and by high I mean five, six, seven percent, which I think. While not likely, I do think is possible. I think there's about a 30% chance of that happening.
1: We're dealing with a lot of unlikely events right that, now. That's, that's
3: <laughs> exactly. I don't even... The why,
1: whole, this whole conversation why is Why hedge? Yeah, yeah, you know?
3: Why hedge? We should just call this the Black Swan radio show, right? <laughs> um, but, but you know, what you do in a in a, in a high inflationary environment, I, I've lived in societies that have been hyperinflation. What you do is you get rid of cash, right? The last thing you want to do is hang on to cash because all it's going to do is, is, is erode. Is evaporate? Is evaporate. Right, and instead of moving things into the stock market where it
2: is, you're going to move it into fixed income. That's where your marketable securities are going to be. Any thoughts? Oh, as far as interest rates goes, with with regard to business investment, an interesting thing the Trump plan is that interest will no longer be deductible. Which uh, so that when you think about that, you kind of go, uh, "Well, maybe I should uh, pay cash if I can, um, and then I should depreciate the uh, asset immediately. (laughs) What a deal!" Right? Yeah. So, yeah, as far as the rates go, I mean, again, so what a wild card. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we read that interest rates are going up in the last five years
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every
2: day? Now, interest um, on what is not deductible? Interest on business equipment or business purchases. Anything you borrow for business, it is it is a uh, Real estate deductible. also? Real estate is a different question. I actually don't know. I'm fo- just focusing on the business owner and his capital acquisitions. Don, any thoughts? You know, as I think about the world, I had a
0: conversation with my father uh, right after the election, and he said, you know, I grew up in a world where things were relatively dependable. Um, And for the last 30, 40 years, I mean, it's been been, um, very uh, undependable. Um, And what I hope for the country is that we end up back in a setting where things are dependable. Uh, and that we can can conduct business in a way that, that where expectations today are the same expectations a year from now, two years from now. And I think, you know, if you look back at the 1980s, that was largely the case. I mean, there's a lot of forecasting relative to what the conservatives wanted to do. And I, I'm hopeful from the country's perspective and, and certainly from an investor's perspective that that's going to be the case over the next, certainly the next four years of a Trump presidency.
1: Great. So I'm going to just go around the, the table and ask for any final observations before we close. Mike, any other, any final thoughts? My final thoughts the following. One, we are being held
3: a mirror up to our society right now. And for a lot of us, we are surprised and don't like what we see. But I think we need to embrace that rather than run away from it and, and scorn it. W- whatever side of the aisle that you're on, we're, we're seeing kind of who we are right now. And second, I think it's important that we maintain faith in our democratic institutions. I think those democratic institutions will lead to stability for business. We do have checks and balances that have worked pretty well for the last 200-odd years. And even when one party's had uh, all three branches of government nominally rowing in the same direction, you know, we really haven't had radical... Change uh, and I, but again, this may be the Black Swan event we'll see, but I, I think uh, th- there's a, a strong temptation to overreact, and uh, I think the important thing is to is to avoid the temptation to overreact, but also to look and to listen because if you can if you can put your emotion aside, there's all sorts of information out there that can inform great decisions even in a a tough,
2: unexpected environment. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, I would take a same kind of um, high-level uh, look at it like, like Mike said. Um, I think we all need to step back and um, have confidence in the future that no matter what has occurred in the history of our country, good things will happen under a capitalist system if you believe in our system. And that, um, that we just ought to think about the things in tough times what we have confidence in. Um, and once we reflect on that and also um, reflect on the things we're grateful for, in fact, uh, we try to do that in our company uh, every day, our stress level goes down and we can get a little more clarity about how to approach life's problems. So I'm not too worried about the future because it's going to be good and in, this, in this great system we have. And John? You know, that's interesting. So I, I went to a
0: presentation that Warren Buffett gave in Chicago last year and um, his commentary was really refreshing. He said, you know, it doesn't matter who gets elected. This is a great country, and and we have the, the greatest minds and, and greatest work ethic of anybody in, in the world. And, and and we attract those. Time. You know, your comment earlier about, you know, do you want to move to America or do you want to go somewhere else? I still think that this is the country where innovators and disruptors come uh, to practice their craft, and that excites me for the future. Thank you.
1: And thank you so much to those of you listening. We've been talking today about the implications of some of the unexpected events that happened at the beginning of the week. Our guests today were John Miller, founder and principal of Sterling Risk Associates, an insurance brokerage company that specializes in healthcare, with Michael Blake, a valuation expert at Arpeggio Advisors, and Mark Lewin, CEO of Strategic Liquidity Services at GV Financial, a wealth advisory firm. Thank you so much for joining us and have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week.
0: This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at com.